Good morning, romance fans, and welcome to the second episode of A Bookish Affair, the podcast where we two Shannons will be your fellow travelers through the world of happily ever after. I'm Shandy, she's Shannon, and we love romance. We are the co-founders of the Lake Oswego Public Library First Genre Book Club, A Bookish Affair. We read and discuss diverse, inclusive love stories every, every second Sunday of the month at the library when it's open and on WebEx for the foreseeable future. If you are interested in joining a virtual discussion group on WebEx, please email us. Our contact information is available on LOPL.org. And folks, even with one podcast under our belt, we're still novice podcasters, so bear with us. We thank you for your patience. And listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, all of those things. We are most grateful. So, Shannon, let's start off this episode by talking about how amazing our (laughs) May book club selection was. That is, I should say, your May book club selection. So for uh, for our May 2020 book club pick, we read uh, Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. And we chose this book because Shannon read it earlier in the year and she was completely blown away by it. She was, she was thinking about rereading it pretty much as soon as she, as soon as she finished it. Um, So with that kind of review, we knew we just had to sort of shoehorn it in to our lineup for 2020 somehow. And I can't remember what we moved around or, uh, or axed, but um, I, I think you were just being kind to me because I really just I, I wouldn't stop talking about it, and so I think this is your way of <laughs> placating me. So I just I just had to we just had to fit it in so that you know so that you would stop talking about it. No, um, I and the other book club mem- club members we had our we had our meeting um, a couple of weeks ago at this point, and we were all floored by how wonderful this book was. So I have to just express my deep gratitude for, um, for to you for choosing this wonderful book, which was the perfect book to read in these strange and difficult times. Well, I'm grateful that you were so willing to add it to our selection list. And um, I was so pleased that people responded to it. And really, I think Tali Hibbert is the one we should thank for, because um, not only that, but she responded, she, she, she responded to our social media plugs when we announced that this was our May selection. So that was um, kind of like touching celebrity right there. But it was such a, it, um, so Get a Life, Chloe Brown is about a woman, Chloe Brown, who um, has uh, what, has a has an experience, um, a near death experience, um, shall I say, um, on on the street, and she decides after years of dealing with uh, chronic pain and fibromyalgia that she wants to sort of reclaim her life again. And in this, she uh, recruits the assistance of uh, her neighbor and apartment uh, maintenance manager. Um, uh, Redmond to help her with some of these things in her efforts to to basically find her joy in life again. 
and uh, they do that and more. And um, along the way, you get amazing um, characters, supporting characters. You get a sense of treatment of, um, of, of chronic illness um, and just beautiful writing um, on the author's part. So, yes, we were all really struck by the quality of the writing, um, the, the sort of vividness of the writing. There are a lot of lines. I talked about this a little bit in our meeting. Um, there are a lot of lines and moments and some of them are jokes and some of them are just wonderful metaphors where Talia Hibbert has, she's 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 given a sort of a one-liner um, that may never be revisited. It may not be it may not be an inside joke that is circled back to. It may not be anything that's ever referred to again in the course of the book. And yet, it it does so much toward making these characters so real. There's a moment early on, and and Red kind of doesn't care much for Chloe at first. He can tell that she comes from a wealthy background. He thinks she's a bit of a snob. At some point very early on in the book, he's talking about her accent and he says, he says, it was like someone taught a diamond to speak. <laughs> that was such a wonderful metaphor. And he knew exactly. Yeah. It, it, it was so, I mean, <laughs> it's, it sparkles, which is kind of a, yeah, it's a metaphor about a diamond. So of course it sparkles, right? But but this is something that I really look for in a romance and the quality of the writing and the prose, um, that vividness, that sparkle. And Chloe Brown has that just to to the nth degree. It, it, it sparkles so much it makes your eyes hurt. Um, <laughs> let's put it that way. So it, it sparkles so much it makes you feel good. Yes. Like an energetic wave of love. Like an energetic wave of love <laughs> and the sparkles in your eyes and... It's so, there, there are so many moments like that that, are, that just make the characters feel so real. Um, yeah. Chloe has these sisters, Danny and Evie, um, and they are, if you, if you enjoyed this book, you'll be delighted to know that Danny and Evie are getting yes. books. Uh, as the series goes on, the next one is yeah. Take a Hint, Danny Brown. And Danny yes. is the uh, sarcastic academic sister and Evie is the sort of funny flirtatious sister who's always who's always using these funny malapropisms so at some point she says the word catatonically when she means to say categorically and it's just a you know it's just a little throwaway line but it reveals so much about the character about her relationships with her sisters and it just does so much toward making the characters that much more vivid and real you just feel like you're doing that with real people and it's kind of funny because I'm terrible with words <laughs> and I've been called out any number of times, corrected on my idioms, corrected on my language. Um, so I really related to Evie on that. And it's just, you know, the way people responded to her was like, ah, oh, Evie again. But she's like, whatever. Like, let's just, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just, I love that. Well, and just to have that sort of endearing personality quirk. Yeah. Um, they're, they're on the page and, you know, that's, that's something that people, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that people find endearing in real life. I find that very charming about you that you, that's your <laughs> metaphors. So, 
Oh, so, I mean, so, so, so much to talk about when it comes to this book. I mean, there is just, I kept using the word flawless because it really is nearly, nearly perfect. I, there, there's hardly anything that you wish, uh, that you wish she had spent more time on. It's just, everything is done with such care. She never, ever phones anything in. Yeah. I, I don't know how you do that as a writer. It's why I'm not a writer. Uh, but I'm so very grateful that that Talia Hibbert is a writer and that she's giving us these that she's, doing, that she's yeah that she's putting out in, this out into the world um one thing that came up in our meeting which I still am swooning over and we <laughs> need to talk about is a new term that I heard that is often apparently attributed to characters um uh, of romance novels and this is called the cinnamon roll character and that's r-o-l-l like cinnamon roll the pastry um and i i i i, I died and went to heaven when i learned about this please <laughs> let's 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 talk about this let's share this out into the world please yes let's this was a highlight <laughs> of book club for me telling Shannon about the cinnamon roll romance hero. Her reaction was just, um, just made my day and continues to delight me. So I did a little bit of research because that's what we librarians do. I did a little bit of research about the cinnamon roll romance hero. And this, uh, it, it, the idea originates with an onion piece as so many wonderful things. <laughs> Um, which is a very just a snippet of a, a snippet of an article with a lovely picture of, of course, a cinnamon roll with the headline "Beautiful Cinnamon Roll, Too Good for This World, Too Pure." <laughs> so, like many wonderful things these days, it became something of a meme, and I don't know what brilliant person in Romance Landia decided that this was the perfect way to describe a particular kind of romance hero, but yes. I'm very much grateful to that person. So, me too. Romance hero. Um, and I am swiping this definition from the cinnamon roll romance heroes interstitial episode of Faded Mates, which is a wonderful podcast um, by Sarah McLean and Jen Prokop. Um, so they, uh, in their discussion, they, they sort of analyze this this particular type of hero um and end up concluding that this you know the the primary feature of this hero is that his number one priority is his true loves emotional physical and spiritual well-being and i just think that that describes redford morgan to a t yes he's just he's just the ultimate cinnamon roll and so <laughs> you know we, we got on some book club and uh, we talked about how, you know, the cinnamon roll hero can be grumpy on the outside. He doesn't have to be, but that can be a facet of his character. And then we went down, you know, this this path of, well, you know, cinnamon rolls have layers and they're, of course, extremely soft on the inside. And it's just, uh, you know, and, th and then we started talking about how hard it is to find baking supplies right now and how, of course, um, how, of course, if, if Chloe Brown wanted to do some baking, Red would go to every market in their town to make sure that we have flour and yeast and sugar and all. Because he's oozing mm. with cinnamon rollitude. Cinnamon rollitude. <laughs> oh, he's 
just so great. Another great cinnamon roll romance hero whom we love. And of course, now that you're thinking about this, you know, we're oh um, another great romance, uh, or another great cinnamon roll is Rafe from um, from Rafe, A Buff Male Nanny by Rebecca Weatherspoon, which we will certainly have to address in further detail on this podcast we in the will. future because we just love the heck. Because of I think that's a, that's a, one of our favorites. It is. And wow, Rafe yeah. is just the ultimate cinnamon roll, as is Red. I think Rafe I mean, and Red would get along just fine, don't you? I think so. Oh you know, God. and just, yeah. Oh we could talk more on Rafe, but we're talking about Red, and we are. He, he's, right. he's got his cinnamon rollitude, and I'm I'm so grateful to have that um, term in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Love that cinnamon oh. roll character. It's 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 a very useful term. Um, so you know, we're this is this is kind of a a, a lighthearted way of describing it, but. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how um, how truly sensitive Red is as a partner. What um, makes him a cinnamon roll yeah, character? What, yeah. yeah. What makes him what makes him sort of the perfect the perfect hero and the perfect hero for Chloe? Um, so, a, as you mentioned, Chloe has been struggling with chronic pain and illness for many years now and it's really affected her life and her relationships so she has lost friends she lost a fiance for various reasons some of them being that she can't go out clubbing uh, without really feeling the effects the next day or or she had this terrible fiance who thought that she was making it up which i which i understand is a real problem with, it is with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome is that people don't understand it, so they don't really believe it. Well, they're invisible illnesses, and people can't can't see. They don't have a visual um, benchmark to uh, gauge the discomfort, and so what ends up happening is isolation is very real. Losing friends because, especially when you're young and you get sick. Um, no, very few people are in, in that realm and they're, they're off sort of building their lives in whatever way that they want, they are. And, um, so to lose friends, to loved ones, to not have people believe you, to not have people, um, with patience enough to stay around, it's a, it's a very real thing. Isolation is a very real thing when it comes to chronic illness. And I thought, and, and it, I, I definitely understood how it would affect Chloe's sense of self and and trust in other people's and people's in other people. Um, you know, it's like of course she trusts her friends and her excuse me her family to stay with her, but how do you trust a a friend or a potential you know romantic partner? Will they understand? Will they care about you? Will they will they will they stick around and and that's it's a very it's very scary to take that step forward to build new relationships yes absolutely and that 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 bravery that that choice that chloe has to make to allow someone new in her into her life is um it's just it's a staggering amount of of courage that it takes very it's a very difficult process for her now, when when Red finds out about, you know, how long 
what Chloe's been dealing with, how long she's been dealing with it and the effect that it's had on her, on her personal life, on her interpersonal relationships. He, well, first of all, he's enraged and he feels like there's a great moment where he says that he hopes all of those people uh, have to walk across a floor covered in Legos. (laughs) (laughs) Again, one of those, one of those super vivid lines and anybody who's ever stepped on a Lego knows how much it hurts. Um, So (laughs) that's real pain. It's real pain. And Red feels very strongly about these people. And he does not want to be one of those people. But what's nice about Red is that he is always checking in with Chloe to see what she might be experiencing. He's always asking if she's okay, if she needs anything, but he's never, he's never going that extra step of assuming that he can just sort of step in and fix that and putting her in the position of then reassuring him. Um, You know, I think we've, we've probably all had that experience like, Oh, I have this pain, whether it's, any sort of pain and you tell somebody about it and they want to fix it for you. And sometimes you don't need them to fix it for you. Even if, even if it were possible, you just want, you just want to be heard and understood. I mean, I I know that I I've done that where someone says, you know, I have a headache and I'm like, Oh, have you tried this? You know, and it's coming from a place of good (laughs) intention and it may not be helpful to either one of us in terms of relating to each other. Yeah, it's that it's that fine balance and red never, you know, because red is perfect. <laughs> He's a cinnamon he, roll. Yeah, he he never messes that up. So, you know, when they go, there's a point when they go camping and he brings just this wildly comfortable air mattress and Christmas lights uh, because this is British, they call them fairy lights, which is extra wonderful. Um, you know, Christmas lights to decorate the inside of the tent. And he makes sure that if they, if they go somewhere, she doesn't have to walk too far. Um, but he also trusts her to know what's going on with her body, to know her limits, to tell him when she needs a break. Uh, he, lets, he lets her take the lead. And that is, uh, I feel like that, that's a, a really important aspect of that cinnamon roll romance hero character is that, you know, your, your sort of typical stereotypical romance hero alpha male is just of course going to swoop in and toss Chloe over her shoulder and, you know, just get her out of the situation. Red is going to have a conversation with her about it. Right. And not only does that build um, trust between two characters, but I know in my life, you know, someone trusting me to navigate my own stuff while also like, clearly showing up every time it's just a way to build trust and it's like we've all we've all experienced that with the people closest um, to us and and that's what is so wonderful is that you can see that trust building you can feel that trust between them building because he he's going to allow things to be and sort of help you know identify what needs to get done and um I'm, I'm not yeah, finishing absolutely. my sentences, but um, yeah, he, but, uh, anyway. <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's not that Red is perfect. Of course, Red is perfect because he's the romance hero, but he, he is, he has his own demons yes. that he's 
that he is pursued by, you know, his, his, he was in an emotionally abusive relationship with a, with a wealthy woman who, again, this is, this is coming back to why he doesn't like or trust Chloe at the very beginning. He thinks, you know, she's just another posh girl like my ex who's going to use me for whatever she wants to use me for and then dump me when I'm no longer of use to her. So he's, he's haunted by that, that past abuse and that past relationship, but he's also taking the really important steps to get help. He midway through the book, he starts going to therapy and he's doing that for himself, but he's also doing it so that he can be a better partner and friend. Um, So he's really doing that work Mm -hmm. on himself. Um, There's also, there's a moment toward the end of the book and it's this, it's that moment in the romance novel where you as the reader are convinced somehow that it's not going to work out between these people. And sometimes that moment can feel really frustrating or contrived. You have to have it. It's yeah. <laughs> it's the, ma- it's the make it, or break you know, moment. It's, just, it's the make or break moment. Yeah. Um, so they have a misunderstanding. Red uh, overhears something that triggers some real unhappiness and anxiety in him related to his past relationship. And he storms out. Chloe's devastated. But what's really important here, and this was so striking to me, we talked about it a lot in the book club meeting, was that Red only goes as far as the other side of the door. So he storms out, he closes the door, and then he sits down on the other side of it. And they keep talking. Yeah. And that was so striking to me that he, that, you know, within, within minutes, he sort of had to cool down from his outburst, but within minutes, if not moments, he was realizing maybe I overreacted here. This is a good thing. I don't want to lose it. What can I do? I need to start this conversation again. But what was so striking, particularly about the door for you? Because that I mean, the door that that was a big thing. So yeah, what was it? What what it? Yeah, explain that. Please. It's it's that moment of you know, there's sort of the obvious metaphor of of there being a wall between us. Uh, we can't see each other. We can only we can only we can only speak, but when that wall is actually a door and the door can be opened, then that really makes a difference. So he's gone, he's given Chloe her space and indeed she is not ready to forgive him right away. He's ready pretty much immediately to start doing the work of of making it up to her, of apologizing for that outburst of, of trying to, to understand what exactly happened there and how he can fix it. And it's going to, it's honestly going to take Chloe a little while, but she's there. She's on the other side of the door. She's listening. And he has to, of course, go through some grand gestures. But I think what's important is that he didn't go far. He He doesn't go far. And he lets her know right away that he's still there for her. Right. And because what she's triggered because of her 
past traumas and um, if he can leave so easily, then he'll just leave. Um, and again, it triggers that trust. Um, but that, that door, like you said, it can be open. It's that, is it closed? Is it, can you reopen it? But the, the maturity with which they um, communicate is striking to me. Because there are some, you know, I know in my own life, but also in other um, books that we've read, you just don't have that level of maturity and trust. And, and it was, that to me just felt true to life of, you know, it's like, this is something that you want to take care of. This is something that you want to take pride in. This is something that you, you know, is precious and, and, and you want to hold on to it like a, like a cinnamon roll. Sorry. I have to go back to that. <laughs> yes. You want to hold on to it and get icing all over yourself. Um, but that's okay because when you have the perfect cinnamon roll, you cannot let him go. That's true. But that's you do, you do. And that's it's very refreshing that communication. And and like you said, we don't always get it in romance novels. And sometimes sometimes you just want to shake the the protagonists because they're being so they're such dim bulbs. And (laughs) it's not the Chloe and Red don't make mistakes. It's that they're smart about about figuring them out together and protecting what it is that they're beginning to build. Yeah. And that is lovely to see. So thank you, Talia Hibbert. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. No, thank you, Talia. <laughs> oh, Talia, you're the greatest. And, and yes, the, the sequel to this book, which is Take a Hint, Danny Brown, is coming out this summer. So if you read Chloe Brown and you liked it, there are more Brown Sisters adventures still to come. You don't have to wait too long, which is pretty delightful. So I think this is a good time to lead into our comfort reads. What do you think, Shandy? I think that's a wonderful idea. So in, in the, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, we're an- like really anxious, confusing, insecure times. Uh, there's a pandemic happening, um, you know, and, and especially with talks about reopening, there's like a, an, an added layer of anxiety. How do you do it? Um, is it safe to go out? Um, so I don't know about you, but I'm definitely, um, the, I, the thought of comfort reads, you know, comfort foods, um, comfort pants, um, just comfort uh, <laughs> is huge in my life. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, um, in, when you, what are your comfort reads? Well, there are a few types, there are a few types of books and a few authors that I really return to in difficult times, whether that's a pandemic or, um, you know, just general, uh, general other life difficulties. Um, So, so here, here's what I've been coming back to. Um, In terms of romance, I really come back to Two of my favorite authors who are K.J. Charles and Kat Sebastian, both of whom are known for writing um, historical romance between men. Um, Now, Kat Sebastian has branched out a little bit and she's writing some MF pairings and 
Um, but MF meaning but she's male to female, male to female pairings. Yes. Um, and so, she, but she and, and KJ Charles are sort of the, I would call them, you know, just sort of the, the queen and the princess of, uh, <laughs> of male, male historical romance. And that is, I, it's difficult to sort of, to sort of parse what it is that is so comforting about those books for me. Part of it is just that, just that the authors themselves are so talented. The, the writing is, it, the writing sparkles. There's all kinds of sparkle in these books. They're both very funny. And so the witty banter is just off the charts. Um, you know, occasionally you, you, you might even have more than one cinnamon roll in a book, which <laughs> I mean, the only thing more comforting than a cinnamon roll is a second cinnamon. I'm swooning <laughs> right now. That's, I'm just not talking because wow, so much cinnamon roll. Swoon. Yeah. Wow. And and I think an, another thing that I really like about. Uh, about these historical romances between men. Um, there's a wonderful, there's, my, my very favorite, very favorite of all time happens to be the first K.J. Charles that I ever read, which is Think of England. And uh, it features a sort of blokey fellow whose name I am blanking on, uh, Captain Archie Curtis. Um, so it's it's very early in the, the 20th century. It's just the dawn of the 20th century. And um, he is a, he's an ex-soldier. He's very, you know, sort of stiff upper lip and whatnot. And he finds himself falling for, um, for a, a poet, Daniel Da Silva, who is everything that Archie is not. I mean, they're, I, I doubt that, I, I don't think too many of Archie's friends necessarily know that he prefers the company of men. Let's put it this way. Everybody is pretty sure that Daniel prefers the company of men. And so they're so very different. And yet the way they sort of, the way they sort of navigate that and, and, and come to each other is very, is very wonderful to watch. There's a moment in that book that is a line that I cannot, that I cannot repeat here without spoiling it for those of you who may go ahead and read it, but it is my favorite line in any romance ever. Oh. And sometimes I don't even have to crack the book. Sometimes I just think about that line and, and things seem better. Um, there's a wonderful, there's a cat Sebastian. It takes two to tumble, which is a lovely, lovely romance between an alarmingly cheerful vicar and a very grumpy, very grumpy sea captain. Um, <laughs> So something something I think I really like about romance between men, especially in a historical context, is the creative ways in which authors have to come up with ways for them to have their happily ever after. Oh. In a in a society where where it was not possible yeah, for two especially historical fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's not possible for them to make that that legal commitment to each other or even be recognized publicly yeah exactly yeah so how do you how do you show that how do you how how do they ensure that they have their happily ever after and I, I love the 
I love the creativity of authors in, in making sure that happens because of course, because of course it happened. History is full of, of, of people who, who made their own happily ever afters. And we may not know about it, but they're, they certainly did. And so, I don't know, that's just very wonderful to see. Um, let's see, something else I've come back to, and this is, this is a, an interesting one. Uh, I also read, I also read horror um, as a comfort read, specifically I Stephen King. I was so King. surprised when you told me. I mean, I, I, I think we, we bonded over romance. So when I learned this side of you, it was just like, it kind of blew my mind. Um, and why is it that, because um, this is what I've been curious about, because I used to read, I think it was like Christopher Pike when I was younger. Then at a certain point, just couldn't handle horror, but that's something that you consider a comfort read. So what is it about horror that, that, that holds you in that way? It's, it's a very, it's a very strange thing to think about. And initially I thought maybe it's just that, maybe it's just that I love Stephen King so much. Maybe, maybe he is my comfort. I have been reading him since I was probably too young to be reading Stephen King. So thank you, mom, for never telling me I couldn't read something. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I hope to emulate that as I, as I begin to have more control over what my own daughter reads. Um, I hope not to, not to always be exercising that control. Let's put it that way. So I, what I'm really coming back to it, for some reason in these times are uh, are his short stories, Night Shift and Skeleton Crew, which are from the late 70s and mid 80s, respectively. There is something, because I, I read those first, you know, probably as a teenager, there's something just nice about returning to a story or a character that you, that you have known for so long, even if it is, <laughs> even if that that character is in a terrifying situation. And it's very interesting also to think about, so for example, the story, The Mist, which some of, which was made into a movie, which I have not seen because I figured it would be way too scary. There's, there's something interesting about having read that as a teenager and now reading it again as the almost 40 year old mother of, uh, of a six year old child, the, the main character, in that in that novella is trapped inside a grocery store with his five-year-old son while terrifying insect monsters batter batter the building and and uh you know eat everything that goes outside do you i mean do you kind of put yourself in that and think what would i do and how could i protect um my child and there's something sort of comforting as well as um, empowering about sort of being able to plan these things out or just kind of like have a, have a plan. Like, how would I do this? Does that? Well, yeah. And I, I have read, although I can't, I can't remember where exactly. I, I, I read that Stephen King, you know, somebody asked him, you have small children. How, how can you write books about such terrible things happening? To families, Pet Cemetery is a great example. Pet Cemetery is my favorite King novel by a landslide, and yet I can't—I haven't been able, been able to read it since my daughter was born because it's all about how bad stuff happening to kids. So, I think Stephen King 
is writing these is writing these because because nothing that could happen in real life could be as bad as terrifying insect monsters or um, you know a graveyard in which you bury things and then they come back to life. <laughs> so so it's a way of it's a way of sort of pushing away that darkness in your real life. It's not as to, bad as flying uh, insects. Exactly. We've got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although there's that thing about the murder hornets, so. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe real life is starting to resemble Stephen King in a lot more ways than just a global pandemic. Anyway, to understand the future, enough, just read Stephen King. <laughs> is basically what we're saying. <laughs> so, so true. So, okay. Um, so let's go on to something a little less terrifying. By which I mean, let's talk about your comfort read. <laughs> I, you know, they might be terrifying to somebody else. Um, <laughs> um, on my list of comfort reads, I, I usually go right for rom-coms and rom-droms. Um, so I think my favorite are um, Gail Foreman's, um, I don't, I call them companion books. Um, but I'm not sure if there's an actual um, word for it. But um, if I stay and where she went, uh, there are two two novels. Uh, one, but they have different point of views. So if I stay um, is from the female um, character's point of view, and where she went is from the male male's character's point of view. Um, and um, actually, that one I discovered. A few years ago, um, it has organ connections. Gail Foreman went to Yugo. And um, oh, she was cool. like in the, the band scene, the music scene down there. And uh, several of her friends were part of a band. And as they grew up, um, basically some of her friends um, were in a car accident going out to the coast. And um, the, the parents and the children um heartbreakingly passed away and she and and so this mm -hmm. story is kind of based on that experience of um of, of some things that she um learned ab about her about her fam her friends um and and you know it's like trying to make meaning out of it um, one of the things I love about it too is that it's all set up like a mixtape and there's music and, and at the, the paperback version, there's actually like a, a playlist that goes with it. And um, my other um, sort of YA favorite is Rainbow Rowell's Eleanor and Park and music also uh, features very heavily in that. And I was very much um, a kid who I were... Um, words and expressing feelings were always very difficult for me. And I used to, my outlet was through music. And so when mixtapes came along, like that was my way of sharing how I felt um, about, you know, a friend or I th I'm fairly sister, I'm fairly certain my sister has like any number of mixtapes, but that was kind of how I communicated. So there's something that really resonated with these, with the, um, if I stay where she went, Eleanor and Park, that also brings in the comfort, um, of music for me. So, um, 
So the rom-com, rom-drums, YA, uh, Gail Foreman, If I Stay Where She Went, Rainbow Rowell, Eleanor and Park. So do you, let me just ask, do you still have all of your old mixtapes? And if so, do you have a way to play them? Because I don't have a way Um, to play them. I have quite a few, yes. Um, And no, I no longer have a cassette tape player. Um, My brother-in-law gave me a Walkman, a um, a cassette tape Walkman, uh, years ago and um, wow. I've never been able su- to successfully hook it up to where the the audio quality like me in this podcast um, is is really good um, <laughs> so that that's a bit disappointing but I do yes I still have um, I still have a bunch of mixtapes I love them they will always like well and even just even just to look at the liner notes, because I'm sure that you and your friends made detailed liner notes. I know my friends and I did. Even just to be able, even if you can't listen to the songs, because you know the songs, you and you can find them on on Google Play Music or Spotify or whatever. Uh, it's it's not the same, of course, but but something just about the physical item and in a way in that way that that a mixed CD or or you know, just a playlist is, is not, it's not the same. There's something about the physical item and how hard you have to work oh to my make gosh. a mix. Like to get the, you, the, you, you have to sequence the songs in a particular way. Um, that's very important. And then like, if you're going from CD to cassette or cassette, you know, whatever your format, you really have to get the spacing right. Like it was very much a labor of love. Um, there, yes, and, and again, like the time it takes to put together a mixtape, then you get the, the right songs to convey exactly what you want to convey to the recipient. I mean, it really, that is a window to someone's soul right there. <laughs> so, so true. Um, so yeah, um, that's mixtapes, but I How think delightful. I still find um, power in music um, and and meaning in music. And when I find a book that is able to do that, um, I just have a handful of books that are able to use music in the novel in that way. Um, yeah, I'm a sucker. I love that. So, um, so I guess. I didn't include music on my comfort reads, but I think we just learned something new. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did. Oh, um, the beautiful. other one is pretty much anything based off of Pride and Prejudice, though interestingly, not the book itself. For example, um, Curtis <laughs> Sittenfield, Eligible, is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, there's Regina Jeffers, Darcy's Passion, Passions, excuse me. Uh, it's Pride and Prejudice retold through his eyes. There's um, Uzma Jalaluddin, Jalaluddin. Jalaluddin. I practiced before even. Um, and, and her wonderful uh, book, Aisha at Last, um, is a, a Muslim retelling of Pride and Prejudice. So uh, there's something about 
Pride and retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, I really love, but not not necessarily the book itself. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on on why that is? Because I know people who are reading Pride and Prejudice right now as their comfort reads, and I don't really have that relationship with that book. I maybe it was like that. I first heard an audiobook of it and maybe I just didn't connect to it oh. in that way. I love the story. Um, I do think that it has a, a, a real and legitimate place in literary history. I think it's a very important book. I think Jane Austen is a very important author. Um, I don't know if um there's a particular like it all still translates today it really does but there is something just I didn't immediately connect to it and I don't know if it's the language uh you know given the time period I'm not sure what it was but clearly the story impacts me clearly like I love the story but there was just something about it that I didn't connect to so well and there's a there's a focus required in reading books that were you know that, that are in that canon classics. or that were written yeah. the classics yeah there's a there's a focus required I mean I remember reading Middlemarch which I ended up loving but I had to concentrate so hard on that Wow, I, I felt like I didn't have room for anything else in my brain besides what was going on in Middlemarch. I had to work so hard just, just to understand it. And it was very much worth it. And I think that's the case with Pride and Prejudice too. But with the remixes, they sort of offer you a different way of, of accessing or understanding some of those, those same big ideas. So, you know, we talk about uh, the enemies yeah. to lovers trope. That's like the, you know, that's your, that's your like ancestor right there for all of our. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Darcy are, are the ultimate the enemies to lovers. I'm sure there are some. They're the OGs. OGs. <laughs> I'm sure there are some Shakespeare couples that would qualify as well, but but really, I mean, if I if I if I think of of an enemies to lovers in classic Pride literature, and you know, Lizzie and Darcy are, yeah. are the obvious choice. Um, there are also when when you told me this was this was on your list of comfort reads, I thought about. Um, well, <laughs> I have to say that I asked you um, if Darcy's passions was spicy, uh, and you and you said no, and I was a little disappointed because it turns out. That uh, and I learned about this um, in reading a, a wonderful book about about Jane Austen superfans entitled "Among the Jane Knights" by uh, Deborah Yaffe. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she is uh, she sort of embeds herself in Jane Austen culture, and she goes to the meetings and the conferences and the conventions, and she meets all of these people. And a ton of the people that she meets are authors of uh, of Pride and Prejudice related material. So I, I went looking for a particular Spicy Darcy remix. Spicy Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> because, 
that she had mentioned in the book, but without having the book in front of me, I just, so I just Googled spicy Darcy remix or, or something along those lines. It, I have no idea which book she was talking yeah, about because there are so many of them. <laughs> They're numerous. Anyway, so obviously there is something about Lizzie and Darcy and Jane uh, that just continues to speak to us down down the centuries. And I wonder what Jane would think. I, I would hope that after she finished rolling in her grave, she would be kind of secretly I, I thrilled. I think she'd be secretly know. thrilled. I think she'd be surprised. Like, <laughs> I, I, I yes. did that. Like, I sparked this whole thing. <laughs> I'm responsible for three words. Yeah. <laughs> no we. <laughs> oh. Now we've arrived at my husband's favorite part of the podcast, what we're reading now and what we are reading next. So my current reads list has been a little bit upended by uh, a challenge that we (laughs) have set ourselves. And if you care to, listeners, we would love to have you join us in this challenge. So we are going to try to read only LGBTQ romance and romance adjacent books in June um, in honor and celebration of Pride Month. Now, I do want to be mindful of the fact that quite a bit of LGBTQ romance is not written by authors who share that identity. So I really want to make sure that I am including a lot of own voices titles on my reading list for this challenge. Compiling a book list, um, which includes a lot of own voices, um, authors, um, and once we complete it, we will definitely share it. Um, I'm wondering, Shandy, um, should we start with our June uh, book club selection, which is Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston? Um, we could say that um, Red, White, and Royal Blue will get us started with this challenge, and then a reading list will follow. What do you think? I think that's a wonderful idea. I am listening to Red, White, and Royal Blue right now, and it's very charming. Um, I think you also listened to the audiobook, right? Yeah, I, it was. I really, I really enjoyed it. I think it'll have. It's it's very fun, but I think there'll also be a lot of stuff to talk about. And without a doubt, yeah. So now that we've uh, officially announced this challenge on this podcast, and I have some accountability, which means I actually have to stick to it. Um, I. Need to, <laughs> I need Me too. To- a few books that don't qualify as LGBTQ reads so that I can make, you know, a fresh rainbowy start in June. Um, so let me talk really quickly about um, a couple of recent standouts that I just can't not talk about because they were so great. Um, I really love Lucas by Elna Holst, which uh, I also want to talk about because it fits in really well with both of our comfort reads. Yeah. It's a same-sex historical romance, my comfort reads. But it's also a Pride and Prejudice remix. Your comfort reads. <laughs> so wow, it's and I truly didn't plan it this way. It just uh, it came into my life at the right time. So this book imagines that Charlotte Lucas, who in Pride and Prejudice is the best friend of the heroine Elizabeth Bennet, um, she marries the odious Mister Collins, who has been rejected by Lizzie. Because, and I think this is something that a lot of us, at least the kind of nerds um, that I 
that I spend a lot of time with, <laughs> with whom I went to college, hi ladies. Um, we have spent a lot of time thinking about Charlotte, Charlotte Lucas and wondering about whether she might prefer, uh, whether she might prefer women. And, you know, why not marry the terrible Mr. Collins and at least have some financial security because she's not going to wait around for Prince Charming when what she really wants in her heart of hearts is a princess. Um, so this book was super romantic and I love seeing that character taking ownership of her life and sort of throwing caution to the winds for true love. That was a really nice thing to see. Yeah. Uh, also along the lines of my comfort reads is a wonderful horror novel by Stephen Graham Jones. It's called The Only Good Indians. And without question, it is going to be one of my favorite books of the year. Oh, wow. um, you, you can read it as a straight up horror novel and get that, you know, those sort of chills and, you know, I may be inside because of coronavirus, but at least I'm not being pursued by an elk spirit bent on revenge. Um, but it's, it's also so much more. Um, there's, you know, there's friendship and found family and honor and murder and justice and injustice and revenge and parents and children and so much basketball. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. The final scene gave me chills and I really don't remember that the, the last time that happened. So highly recommend. Wow. Um, let's see, in the world, I've been enjoying some novellas by Rebecca Weatherspoon and Jackie Lau. Both of whom who have both of whom have upcoming releases, um, so I kind of wanted to get caught up on those series. Um, I'd like to finish Rebecca Weatherspoon's Haven before June, but I will not have to give her up entirely for the month. More on that perhaps in a later uh, in a later podcast. Um, and then finally, I want to try to squeeze in a couple of books from the Gold Sky series by Rebel Carter. Uh, I want to see if I can finish Hearth and Home and Honor and Desire before June begins and they're they're pretty quick reads. Uh, so I think maybe I'll be able to do it. Um, I'm hoping to read books four and five in June because they are um, book four uh, features a woman who falls in love with two men uh, and book five features two women who fall in love. So Gold Sky is this fictional 19th century Montana town where the residents are extremely accepting of unconventional relationships. Um, the first book, Heart and Hand, involves a mail order bride who comes west uh, to marry not one, but two husbands. Of course, they're both terribly handsome and cinnamon rollish, <laughs> And nobody in town bats an eyelash. It's great. <laughs> so those are my current and, uh, and impending reads. How about yours? Oh, what am I reading? Um, I... I uh, just finished a nonfiction um, after the blast, the ecological recovery of Mount St. Helens by Eric Wagner. Um, May 18th marked the 40th year anniversary of the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Um, and after the blast is um, kind of about the um, sort of as much um, the some of the scientists who studied the mountain post-eruption as much as the ecology post-eruption um, and it's, and the mountains recovery. Um, it is also a bit personal because my father's work is, is featured here. And I know that he was really proud of his contributions uh, to the ecological study of the post-eruption landscape. So I'm learning a lot. That it is so amazingly cool that you get to read about your dad in a book. 
Um, I also have a connection coincidentally to this book because I went to high school with the author. So I was really excited to hear about it when you started telling me about it. So when the pandemic is over, or at least to the point where we can safely exchange physical material, I may just have to borrow it from you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, you know, it's really informative, but um, the author um, does an incredible job of kind of making it accessible. And um, I, yeah, like I said, I'm learning a lot and he makes it really personable, really accessible. Um, and for a lot of reasons, it's, it's just a special book to me. But uh, yeah, I was, I was super delighted when you told me about your connection to the author. Um, in romance, I'm reading, I just started a Real Men, Real Men Knit by Quana Jackson. Um, it's a fun and um, it references some weavers in Oregon. Um, which, you know, personal connection. Also, you know, and, and Shandy just reminded me, it's it's kind of a throwback to the book that got me into romance in the first place, you know? So knitting and, and love. Um, apparently those are those are the things, hook, line, and sinker right there. Um, <laughs> also in my immediate cue is Pride by um, Ibby's, which is a, com a combination of my comfort fa faves. Pride is a YA remix of Pride and Prejudice. And like I said, it's YA, so it's a little bit of a twofer there. The main character, Zuri, is of Afro-Latino descent, and her neighborhood is undergoing some major changes and revitalizations. And the wealthy Darcy family moves in. So um, this adaptation deals with urban gentrification identity and class as well as first love and I'm excited to start this Ooh. that's that's really interesting because I have accidentally read uh, a lot about gentrification recently in romance and romance adjacent works um, both of us really loved Ruby Lang's uptown series of novellas yeah. which include playing house open house and house rules those were all just delightful, and they are, uh, I believe, the trilogy has just been re released as an ebook collection, and a, a paperback edition is also forthcoming this summer. So mm. that is that. Those are pretty delightful, but they also deal with some with the with really serious issues such as gentrification and changing neighborhoods. Um, I also read a thriller by one of our favorite bookish affairs favorite romance authors, Alyssa Cole, who is the author of our very first pick, A Princess in Theory. And this, I believe, is her first thriller. It's called When No One is Watching. And it is very unsettling and really well done. It's just, uh, the whole time I just felt like I was, it's, it's a masterclass on building suspense. Wow. Just when you think, just when you think, think things can't get any more stressful and terrifying and suspenseful, she just ups the ante and it's, it's pretty amazing. So the main character is, a um, is a black woman who whose neighborhood is changing in some very very sinister ways. So it's interesting to sort of think about. Uh, I don't know. This issue just sort of popped up in in a lot of things that I happen to be reading. Uh, I don't know. We might have to do a future episode on gentrification and genre fiction. It seems like there's a lot of material. I I think there's becoming more so. And I mean, frankly, there's no shortage of future topics for us to discuss. 
Um, we definitely mused how diverse subject matter can be in romance and happily ever afters definitely lend itself to having those challenging conversations um, because, you know, we're assured that things will turn out. So it's a, it's a safe space, you know, and I know that we keep saying this, but there's definitely power and safety in those happily ever afters. And that's certainly why, like, I've been reading a lot of them lately so so yeah we'll definitely have to come back for more um are you feeling like we're getting our groove on here <laughs> should we come back i think we are <laughs> i kind of think we are <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> shannon as always it has been an honor and a privilege speaking with you about these things that we love to speak about so all you listeners out there we will be back soon with more squealing and musings and recommendations and random doorbell rings and possible visits from Shannon's cat or my daughter. <laughs> you just never know what you're going to get when you listen to this podcast. If you like the episode, <laughs> if you like this episode, please let us know on the library social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, tell us what are your comfort reads? What are you? to read next would you like to read the rainbow with us for pride month and if you have ideas for future episodes what you'd like to hear us talk about we would love to hear them yes um, i'm already starting to get some requests i've had a request for um for romance on uh, so romance featuring older protagonists honestly i'm thrilled when the hero or heroine in a romance is over 35 yeah so imagine that if you were <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were if you were in the next generation, you you might you might want some uh, to read about some love there too. Uh, I've also been I've also gotten a request for us to talk about princesses, and that request, funnily enough, was not from my six year old. <laughs> we'll try to put princesses in somewhere in a future episode. Yeah. This podcast is for you, so please let us know what you want to hear. I love that you're getting requests and um, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you soon. So um, it's always a pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening and we'll talk again soon. Hi everyone, due to an audio glitch, can't quite hear, you can't quite hear the full name of an author we mentioned. Pride is by Ibiza Boy. We also have some people to thank. Anya Woodhouse, Rick Lyons, Chris Barrett, and the LPL social media team have provided a lot of support and guidance. Claire D does our credits and corrections. Our book club members keep us inspired and always looking ahead to the next happily ever after thanks for listening we hope you and we'll see you next time